Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. On the app, on your mobile, talk radio and talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We have got an awful lot to talk about this morning, ladies and gentlemen. The migrant crisis continues. Uh, we'll give you all the updates that you're going to need. All the way through this week, there have been arguments in the House of Commons and in the House of Lords about the migrant bill. Uh, we've been told about the empty rooms that have been booked by the Home Office just in case there are more people coming. Well, let me tell you this. It don't remind about just in case there are more people coming. There's already more people here than there were last year coming over on the small boats. Ben Habib is here. We're going to be talking to him about all of that. We'll also talk about the astonishing weather uh, in the continent of Europe, uh, except it's not that astonishing because it is, in fact, summer. I'm getting an awful lot of messages from people in Spain, in Italy uh, and points east of there saying, yeah, of course it's hot here. That's why we go here in the summer, because we like it like that. The idea that the BBC uh, and also the kind of Met Office are all warning that you're all going to die if you go to Europe is absolutely and utterly the most ridiculous thing ever. Also, we're going to talk about Sick Note Britain. Believe it or not, there is now £15.7 billion being spent on looking after people who claim that they're too sick to work. Are they having a laugh? What's wrong with them? Oh, mental health issues. Of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you can't argue with that really, can you? It's the new bad back, isn't it? I've got a bad back. How do you know? Uh, Well, I can't walk properly. Well, can we measure that? Uh, Can we see whether you've got a bad back? No, you can't. What about mental health? Can we uh, deal with that in some way, shape or form? Can we give you a test? No, can't do that because that would be against the rules. If I tell you I've got mental health problems, you have to leave me alone. Uh, You have to let me just go away and give me some free money for the rest of my life. Mental health problems. We've all got them. Some people actually overcome them. We go to work because we like to. Some people don't bother. Uh, We'll bring you more on that, of course, as we go. Uh, Also, we'll be talking about the rest of what is in the news this morning. Uh, We're going to be talking about the doctor's strike, which is going on, the the, uh, package of money uh, that Rishi Sunak claims to have found. He's going to be giving 6% to public sector workers. That means teachers, that means doctors, that means nurses, that means police, that means fire brigade. It means everybody who works for the public sector is going to get a pay rise. That's nice for them, isn't it? Professor Frank Ferradi is going to be here as well, saying that he remembers very well what it was like escaping from Hungary and coming to this country as a proper refugee. I spoke yesterday about George Michael's father, uh, who was a Greek Cypriot who came here, started the business, worked all of his life, worked his absolutely hardest that he ever could, uh, told his son never to go into singing because he wouldn't make any money. Never mind that. Uh, but the point is, is that was the kind of immigration this country used to have. What we ha- now have is people coming here who we don't know from countries that we suspect are not at war uh, and we don't know where they go. We don't know what they do. That's not the same thing, and it's a very bad idea. Also, don't forget, uh, we're going to have the Veterans Voice later on with Hugh Andre, and we've got a very special guest, uh, a woman who runs a charity uh, for soldiers' families, um, whose soldiers' 
fathers have been either killed while they were doing their service or killed in action during wars. It's going to be a fascinating time. 0344 499 1000 is the number. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Let us get it on. Welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here. It's a Friday. We've managed to get to the end of yet another tumultuous week in the news business. Uh, Claire has sent me this. I live in Spain. The temperature is in the mid-40s right now because it's the summer. August will be hotter. It was as hot last year and the year before. I despair with all these dramatists telling us that we're all going to die. Well, exactly right. Um, another one from, comes in. Uh, I'm at my house in southern Spain right now, says Ali. The temperature, according to the dashboard reading in my car, is 27.5 degrees. Don't believe everything you're told by the Met Office. Let's say a very good morning. Morning to Ben Habib. Ben, how are you managing to survive the summer? Yeah, well, I mean, I've been wanting to tweet for weeks. You know, look at the weather, we're hardly burning. Yeah. Up. But I, you know, the minute you tweet something like that, you'll get the um, sort of eco terrorists piling on you, claiming that actually the poor summer that we've got is yeah. a result of global warming. Yes. You know, we, we're, we're either boiling because of global warming or yes. we're freezing because we're of freezing, global yeah. warming. Uh, but losing, it's always global we're, we're warming. We're losing bits of the ice <laughs> shelf in the Antarctic or, or suddenly we're, uh, we're, we're having... I was, I was listening to uh, The World at One, the BBC, for my sins yesterday, and a report from India, uh, a woman in Delhi, saying, oh, it's terrible, uh, all the rivers are flooding in Delhi because of uh, a, a terrible... Um, you know, catastrophe in, in Madhar Pradesh, which is north of the city. It's actually not raining in Delhi, but the rivers are all running well. This morning, I hear that in Madhar Pradesh, they're about to send a rocket up to space. So the floods can't be that bad. Well, Otherwise, try and get it to rain, you mean? Well, yeah. I mean, they're, they're <laughs> sending a rocket up to space from the very place that they said was underwater. So the <laughs> two stories be can't be both true, can <laughs> no. they? I mean, that's the thing. And I remember the Pakistan story last year, yeah. uh, which, which, which you'll know more about, uh, where they said oh, a third of Pakistan's underwater. It turned out that wasn't actually true. So they sort of pushed this narrative um, as if to make it sound as though the catastrophe is a lot worse than it actually is. Well, a lot of modern flooding as well as bad building practices, yeah. you know, building in floodplains, right. um, removing, uh, you know, the natural soakaways right. the soil. And not creating enough drainage. And not creating enough drainage with it, yeah. And, uh, you know, our drains are blocked, by the way. You know, you right. go down the street, you see our drains are blocked. Yeah, but not allowed you know, to no clean them that. because that will be against the environmental... <laughs> um, you know, I remember once when I lived in Wiltshire, my house got flooded sort of three times in a row. Um, in one particular month, largely because the farmer who had a field behind the house had ploughed the field, and so the water just ran off it. Uh, when the council came round and, and there was a culvert that went through the, t- the village, uh, he said, well, we can't clear that. Uh, it's a bit silted up, but we can't clear it. I said, why is that? He said, well, it's got water voles in it and they're protected species. Right. Well, there you go. And yeah. I'm like, well, if I shoot them, uh, <laughs> then you can clear the stream, right? And he went, well, yeah, but I wouldn't recommend that. I said, yeah, but you'd have to, wouldn't you? And he said, yeah. And, you know, this is, this is kind of madness that goes on all the time. Yeah. Absolutely and ridiculous. And, and no, notwithstanding this massive amount of rainfall we've had, we will, of course, have yeah. a, a host pipe ban. Well, by it was the time pouring we last night for about two hours uh, in my part of London. And I'm assuming that, uh, you know, the water companies will say, oh, well, we couldn't collect any of that. No. Uh, because we don't have any reservoirs. We're not allowed to build those because that's also against the environment. I mean, it's just madness. Speaking of madness, let's talk about the yeah. migrant situation. Um, we've got uh, cabinet ministers now telling the Archbishop of Canterbury to butt out and stop complaining about uh, you know inhumane rules and regulations about stopping the migrants from coming here or sending them to Rwanda. But we've now found ourselves with even more people, I think, coming uh, this time this year than there were this time last year, right? Well, you know, the whole government policy on this, as we've discussed before, Mike, is based around what they claim to be deterrence. Mm. 
But if you analyse the treatment that we give those that cross the channel illegally and enter the United Kingdom illegally, um, it's hardly anything but a deterrent. Yes. You know, they're, the minute they enter our territorial waters, they're put on border force boats, given a warm blanket, a cup of tea, brought onto shore, moved, you know, s- s- seamlessly to Pimlico, mm, right. put in a four-star right. hotel with poor Wi-Fi, yes. but they get two, two or three. The food's okay. Food's okay. <laughs> two or three to a room, free dental care, free health care, yeah. cash in their pockets. What's there not to like? Yeah. And free legal advice, of course, yes. to free legal And, of course, the legal advice is always, here's how you get to stay here. This is how you get to stay. Yeah. And so we're not, we're not practising deterrence as a mechanism to stop the boats from coming. And we, we knew that even before analysing it, because if people are leaving France, it can only be because the economic benefits they get in the United Kingdom are better than France. Mm. Their safety is already assured, isn't it? Yeah. None of these people are refugees in the true sense of the word. No. They've left because their everybody who says, countries. "Oh, but they're coming here from war-torn countries," they're, they're fleeing. And sometimes, when you flee a war-torn country, um, you don't have a passport. These are all people who, by the way, have never been to a war-torn country and don't actually know what it's like. Well, many of them haven't. Many of them haven't. Absolutely right. Mm. And when they do flee a war-torn country, quite frankly, they should be happy to find the first safe haven, shouldn't they? And stay there. Right. Yeah. And then we get told, and this is where the narrative starts to get invented by the left then we get told well the reason they come to Britain is because they've either got family here or because they speak English as a second language we then find out and we know that's not true yeah well we, then, we know that's not true because they're spending £337,000 down in Dorset hiring um, people to teach them to speak English while they're on the barge yeah. that sits outside Portland Bill so it can't be, again both stories can't be right and the reason they by, by the way just is quite interesting the reason they justify the complaints about poor Wi-Fi is because their translation apps on their iPads, which, by the way, we give them too. We give mm. them iPads so they can communicate with us. Oh, for God's sake. Their translation apps can't work without proper Wi-Fi. That's why the Wi-Fi right. is important. So th- that's our idea doing? Are they deterrent? watching Netflix? They're watching like Harry and Meghan, <laughs> the non-fiction uh, binary. How about this? I've just seen this from Sky News. Greece has experienced a heat wave with temperatures expected to reach up to 44 degrees in some areas. Tourists have seen sheltering from the sun under trees and using fountains to cool themselves off. Well, no kidding. Well, that's happened for got, a few thousand years, I they've think, They've got an in interview Greece. with a woman who's laughing. Um, and playing in the fountain while putting her a hat on her dog. It doesn't look as if it's a crisis to me. <laughs> no. It's like, it's summer. It's no. nice. But we are, nevertheless, targeting to add another trillion pounds to British government debt in order to fight this climate change. You know, not a day goes by when we don't hear from the government yes. how important it is to control government debt, yes. to control spending, right. so that the economy can return to a proper trajectory. And, Yet they go down this path, which by their own estimates is going to cost the UK taxpayer £1.4 trillion. Well, it's it's massive. It was only last week, I think, that Rishi Sunak um, said that he was going to put the green levy back on households, which was taken off actually by Liz Truss, £170 a year uh, to help pay for, you know, renewable energy and to basically subsidise millionaire green entrepreneurs who are already doing fine, thanks very much indeed, uh, but who can't sustain energy because when it doesn't blow the, the wind the right way or when it's too hot for the solar panels yeah. they can't produce any well, energy. We had to fire up two coal, coal, coal power stations the other day. Did you see that? Yeah. A few weeks ago. Well we have to do it all the time yeah, yeah. because the point about your renewable energy is it may, it may be renewable but it's not reliable. And we just haven't made that transition. You know what the US has got so right 
is that before they've sought to tackle what they call their climate crisis, mm. they've become the biggest producer of oil and gas in the world. Yeah. They fracked their way to economic prosperity, secure energy security, and from that position of strength, they announced the $370 billion Inflation Reduction Act. You know, we haven't put ourselves in that position. We no. did the opposite of the US. We switched off North Sea. Yeah. We shut down um, a, a new licenses effectively right. back in March also, 2021. Also did away with the gas storage facility. Did away, did away. Why would you do away with storage, mm. for goodness sake? And it's not something, it's not just a storage tank you can switch back on. It needs maintenance and it needs to be kept up to standard. So to switch it back on now right. apparently is unaffordable. It's completely unjoined up thinking. Mm. And to make matters worse, we're now importing liquefied natural gas fracked in the US yes. at vast cost across the sea. Yeah. We've got a carbon literally emissions and freezing gas. it. Shipping, literally shipping gas, yeah. freezing it, yeah. shipping it, defrosting it, and then using it in the UK when we could have just produced it in the North Sea. Well, you could have made it in Blackpool. You, know, <laughs> you, could have, you well, literally absolutely. could have done. Unbelievable. Yeah. Ben, stay where you are. We're going to take a little short break. We've got much to talk about, including, of course, the money that Rishi Sunak claims to have found. I don't know where he's found it, in the back garden of Downing Street, presumably, to pay the public sector workers, all of them, 6%. Incredible. More billions going south. This is Talk TV. On DAB+, Plus, on the app, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. We'll take some calls coming up in a little while. Don't forget, this is the number 0344-499-1000. We're talking about Sick Note Britain. We're talking about the economy. We're talking about the migrant problem. Ben Habib is here with us. Uh, Lisa Nandy uh, tweeted out yesterday, uh, Liz Truss crashed the economy, but it's on Rishi Sunak's watch that mortgage rates have hit a 15-year high. Hear me out, but maybe the problem is actually the Conservative Party. I don't think anybody takes the Labour Party seriously now, do they? No. And, I mean, because they can say all this as much as they want, but nobody believes the Labour Party do any better. Well, they would take whatever the Conservative agenda is and just make it worse. Yeah. Um, the very poor Conservative agenda. Liz Truss didn't crash the economy. Mm. Liz, Truss, Liz Truss's mini-budget was never put into effect. No. Um, the idea that that short period of time where she showed the nation some hope, mm. some idea and vision of growth in order to get the economy going. And lower taxes. L lower taxes, yeah. which is crucial, right. by the way. You know, we're about to talk about the 6% wage increase. Mm. Of course, you could achieve the same end by cutting taxes. Yeah. Cut back the state, cut back state intervention. Right and reduce taxes so people have more money in their pockets so they can choose how to spend it wisely. Exactly. The government, Except the, the government's version of that is, in public sector terms anyway, as of yesterday, to just hand out more money to them. I know. Which surely must be inflationary. We're in a, uh, precisely. If cutting taxes is inflationary, paying people more is equally inflationary. But actually, you know, cutting taxes is a much better way to do it because what you enable people to do, Mike is to choose their own way to spend that mm. money. This notion that the state has established, the government has established, that taxing you and spending your money on your behalf right. is going to be less inflationary than you spending it is wrong. Right. The state is not good at spending money. We have ample evidence mm. to know that whatever the state does with our money, it pretty much wastes it. Yeah. What we should be done, what, what the state should do is trust us to make those decisions ourselves, particularly in this difficult, high inflationary environment. What Liz absolutely had right, though she may have delivered it in a cack-handed fashion, was that the understanding that taxes had to come down. Mm. We've had very high taxes, 
very high state borrowing and very high state spending for the last 25 years. Yeah. That's what got us into the problem. It seems obvious, therefore, that the solution should be less of what got us here in the right. first place. But Go no, the other way. But Rishi Sunak seems absolutely wedded to the idea of just spending more and more public money, even though he says at the same time, we don't have any. He knows because of what happened during COVID and furlough and all that money that we gave away to no particular end, really. I mean, some people might say, well, it kept them going and it kept them in a job, maybe. Yeah. But an awful lot of companies took advantage of it. An awful lot of companies took money that they weren't really entitled to. And most of it was wasted. And we could have done a lot more with that money if we'd done something else with it. I mean, lockdowns added £500 billion to national debt in the shortest, in the time it took, by Mm. the way, in all of history for our national debt to reach £500 That took until 2005. And he added that figure within a year of being Chancellor. He is squarely at the heart Mm. of the creation of this problem. But the other parallel I just want to dwell on very briefly, Mike, is, you know, we've made it our mission that we will supply Zelensky pretty much with whatever he needs in order to win this war, whatever win means. And at the same time, the government recognises and explains away a large degree of our economic problems on the war in Ukraine. Mm. It blames the war in Ukraine for the problems we've got, and yet it is fueling that war. We spent two and a half billion last year on supporting Ukraine. We're going to spend a similar figure this year, but that doesn't take into account the indirect cost to our economy from Russia being at war in Ukraine. Right. And we are, we've got no war aim. We're not saying, actually, we want this war to come to an end as fast as possible so that the British people are better off as mm. a result. That's what we should be doing, shouldn't yeah. we? We should be looking at this war in the prism, through the prism yeah. of what's right for the United Kingdom. Right. And are we going to end the war and therefore somehow reduce the price of energy? Fine. Uh, absolutely. And the price of wheat. And yeah. the pr- you know, so where is the joined up thinking here? Right. And, when, and we're now supporting the US in providing banned munitions to a Ukrainian military that will effectively use them against its own people. I want a proper debate now on the Ukraine war. The United Kingdom is no longer threatened by Russia with its presence in the southeast of Ukraine. We spent a massive amount of money on this. It is having global economic effects. It's changing the geopolitical setup. It's forcing people, other countries, into silos where we don't want them. Yeah. We need to have a proper discussion on that Ukraine war. And considering how much money we've spent, I think we're actually the third biggest spender. I thought we were the second, but I saw a chart the other day that said Germany's actually spent more than we have, surprisingly. Uh, but it's America first, then Germany, then Britain. Uh, very much further ahead of everybody else. And I think we're entitled to know what we're getting for our money, aren't uh, uh, we? Uh, uh, absolutely. So we, what are you, we getting for our money? You know, so, uh, well, I can't see what we are getting. We've got an intractable war in the southeast part of Ukraine, and we're keeping that war going. What we should be doing is leaning on both sides to sort this out, reach a peace settlement, whatever that settlement is, and allowing the world to go back to normal. It serves no purpose. And the other thing, Mike, that, you know, since we're on the subject, the use of cluster bombs in Ukraine by the Ukrainian Mm. military being supplied by the United States is a sign to me that that war is not going well. Yeah. Now, just follow this thinking through for a second. If that war's not going well, it's not inconceivable that Russia may break out of the southeastern region of Mm. Ukraine. It may start an expansion across Ukraine again. And if it succeeds in breaking out 
and it succeeds in taking more ground in Ukraine, it will be in no mind to reach peace. Mm. At that point, it will see itself as winning yeah. the war. And what we might find in our reluctance to sue for peace now is that we end up with Russian missiles on the Polish border, precisely where we didn't mm. want them in the first place. Right. The geopolitical aim for Western Europe through this war was to make sure Russia did not come close to Poland. We've achieved that, and now we need a, a proper reassessment of our war aims in Ukraine. We've got to do it, right. and we will regret it in 20 mm. years' time. A bit like all the warmongers were right behind Iraq, right behind Afghanistan, right behind the oh, yeah. idiotic campaign in Libya. It. We had to do we it. We absolutely had and to now do it. And now we are paying the price through illegal yeah. migration, massive government mm. debt. You know, that war in... in, in, in um, in Afghanistan cost two trillion dollars think about what you could do with that money what we did for 20 years was bomb a desert yeah something George Bush said he would never do do you remember I'm digressing hugely well I remember people saying that you know there's no point in bombing Afghanistan back to the stone age it's already there it's already there but that's precisely what we did we bombed it we we kept it in the stone age and kept bombing it Mm. and to know meanwhile the Taliban are still running it they're still but they're back in part. Right. And, you know, we will come to regret our approach in Ukraine if we don't reassess it pretty damn fast. So coming back to the spending, what Rishi Sunak had to do was get ahead of the strikes from the public sector back in June last year. And it's not as if people didn't tell him. I was saying it back in June 2022. Get ahead of the strikes, reach a settlement now, prevent the strikes from becoming endemic. Yes. I was saying it back in June 2022. Anyone with any semblance of a brain who's been in business would have recognised you need to get ahead of that problem. Mm. Instead, he allowed the strikes to become endemic. That's no doubt fueled inflation. That's no doubt added much more to the public sector borrowing requirement. And now he's putting down an ultimatum, take 6% or else. And what happens, by the way, if they don't take the 6%? Well, some are taking it and some will not take it. That's the way it's going to work And it's going to go on. He's not going to sort the problem, is he? No. But the trouble is for him, once you start to give an inch, as he has done now, and you say, well, we'll give you 6 then you basically, that's another round of negotiations, effectively. It is. For the doctors. The doctors are saying, we want 35, you're offering us 6. There is 35%. You know, there between is. 6 and 35, <laughs> there are lots of numbers you could settle on, and yeah. they won't take less than 15 at this point. But the nurses did that. They started at 18, ended up taking 5. You know, it's a long-running thing. I'm not sure that you're right about whether he should have done it sooner or not, because I think he needed to stand up to them as well. He needed to show that he did. He but government fold. ministers wouldn't engage. Right. Do you remember? They were sitting right back from it. Yes. And now you've got the prime minister actually putting his name to an ultimatum. Yeah. That's a very unusual thing yeah. for a prime minister to do. Right. If his if his um, bluff, if you, it's not a bluff, but if his if his poker call is called. Mm. And he's found wanting, then he's in real trouble because he's gotten. There's no one behind him. Is it possible that he's cleverer than everybody though, and he's just saying, "Look, this is my final offer to you. If you don't want it, and if you turn it down, that will be you failing the British public, and I'll have no choice but to go for an election, which well, I know I will lose. He will be obliterated. Well, I think he knows so. that. I, I think even so. if he listens to the people who think he won't be obliterated, he must believe that he will be obliterated. He will. Because there's not really any other way. But it may well be that he could do enough to stop the Labour Party from getting anything more than a minority government, which would be a result, yeah. I think, for the Tories. That <laughs> would be a huge result. You know. 
Yeah, I mean, at the moment, I've seen calculations which which predict Rishi will lose his seat. Yes, uh, on election, and they'll calculus. only keep about eighty, right? Yeah, eighty-five like seats. That. Yeah, which is a, yeah, a, a which disaster. would be a disaster. Bring it on, is what I say. You know, let's have some fun. Um, you know, once the summer's over and we've all managed to survive the heat wave, uh, let's have an election. Let's have one in September. Why not? I'm ready. Well, it can't be any worse than the government we've got at the moment. Well, that's what people say, and then they go, well... Uh, Labour. It can always be worse than you think. But let's, let's have an election, I don't mind. You know, people go, oh, you'll be out of a job if the Tories are out. No, it won't. It'll be actually great for us here at Talk TV, uh, because the Labour Party will make such a dog's breakfast of it all. It'll be hilarious. This is Talk TV. Thank you, Ben. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Got plenty to do uh, and plenty of time to do it. And we're here with you until one o'clock. Don't forget Plank of the Week tonight at 7pm. Uh, there can pretty much only be one winner, uh, but it's a very good show and it's a very good panel. So I do recommend watching it. Alan says this, uh, Mike, we're supposed to be the thick ones, but I said to my wife years ago that stress would take over from back trouble as the number one reason for sickness. Also, I could predict the shirkers that would play the long COVID card and I wasn't far wrong. We have all these public service lovies that have told us for years that we don't talk about mental health enough when in reality this is all that seems uh, that we talk about because that is true i worry for the future as managers and doctors are dishing out sick notes or on eggshells uh, because the only group that gets overlooked are those with a work ethic how have we got here keep up the great work well, this is what I always say. How have we got to this place where nobody wants to do any proper work? People want to have blended working. Uh, they want to do some work from home. Uh, they want to do some work from abroad. Uh, they'd like to do some work from a beach. Well, that's fine. Brilliant. You know, I'd like to do some work, um, I don't know, uh, from a car. I'd like to do some work from a rooftop bar. I'd like to do some work uh, from Acapulco. But it's not about what you want to do. It's about what the people who employ you wish you to do. But unfortunately now the employers are just about as dopey as the people who don't want to do any work, for heaven's sake. 0344 499 1000. Let's talk about migration once again. Professor Frank Ferradi is here, uh, author and sociologist, of course. He's got a great piece in the uh, Daily Mail today uh, all about how he and his family escaped from um, the, um, uh, the wilds of Hungary uh, back in the day when the Russians piled into Budapest in 1956. And precisely because of that, he knows all about why immigration is a very important thing. And he knows why the immigration policy of this government right now is getting it completely and utterly wrong. Uh, Frank, very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. So, um, it's absolutely right. I was talking about this earlier in the week um, because I was watching, by coincidence, that Wham! documentary on Netflix, um, which is very good, by the way, uh, all about George Michael, who was known as Yog. Uh, when he was a youngster because he was brought up in a Greek Cypriot household and his father was a very, what I would regard as a typical sort of North London Greek Cypriot, probably Tottenham supporter like yourself, um, <laughs> who came to this country probably in the 50s and literally worked his, his, his backside off, you know, built up a business and continually worked all the time, all the hours that God sent to raise his family, to be a good father, and all, you know, all of those great sort of qualities that, that we used to think of as qualities in the olden days. And I imagine your family was probably the same. People came to this country for a better life, but they were willing to work for that better life. Yeah, I, mean, I think one of the uh, things is when you arrive in a country that's uh, allowed you to be in there and has been kind to you, you, you kind of try to repay that by doing your best to work hard to become uh, a citizen that is uh, making a contribution to society. Right. And for that reason, as I explained in the article, I've got no problems with uh, immigrants. Uh, they often make an incredible contribution to the society they come to. They often are 
self-selected. They're very adventurous risk takers. Uh, and we can see that in Britain today, that the immigrant, some immigrant communities have done really, really well. What I'm really worried about is that we're eroding the distinction between legal immigrants, legal migrants, and, and illegal ones. And these days, when you use the word illegal, you often get accused of being uh, mean and uh, even racist, that somehow there is no such thing as an illegal migrant. And we forget the fact that illegal migration constitutes a crime against a society. It constitutes a, a breach of, of, of that society's security. It basically means that the government of that society loses control over its borders. Right. And these big issues are very rarely discussed, and certainly the House of Lords, uh, which is one of the most sanctimonious institutions in the world, whenever they discuss illegal migration, they kind of huff and puff and pretend it doesn't really exist. Uh, and that instead, we, the moral thing is uh, to uh, do whatever we can to let people in, no matter how they came, no matter what their intentions are, all the while forgetting that the really moral thing that a society can do is to take its own border seriously. Yeah. Well, you can't really be a nation if you can't control who comes into the country and who goes out of the country. Because I refuse to believe that actually the Home Office even knows who goes out of the country. You know, we've got those net migration statistics, which are supposedly the legal ones, where we saw 1.2 million people coming in uh, in 2022 with either uh, sort of work visas or student visas. But nobody really knows what happens to them after the visa runs out. Yeah, and I, sh I think the Home Office should be rebranded as the Home Working Office uh, <laughs> because uh, I get the impression that they're spending a lot of time in their digital bedrooms uh, playing various kinds of games. And when it comes to uh, enforcing uh, the nation's security, when it comes to dealing with the issue of immigration, they seem to have a very hands-off policy where they're really reluctant uh, to make hard decisions. And in that sense, they, they're... they're uh, paralysis is mirrored by the political class mm. who also is totally reluctant and has done absolutely nothing to keep its promises about securing our borders yeah no i think that's absolutely right and in times when uh, uh when families like your own moved into britain it was also a very different country you know it was pretty monocultural um it was much less uh, crowded than it is now and there were opportunities for people. I mean, I, funnily enough, used to work in a Hungarian bakery as a teenager, and so I knew a lot of Hungarians who had come since 56, and many of them with literally nothing, running out of the country with literally the clothes they were wearing. Some of them went into refugee camps in, in the north of England and Scotland. Um, but they had opportunities. They could then make something of their lives. And what I worry about is that some of the people coming now, particularly those coming illegally, can only really end up in the black economy. They can't end up doing proper jobs. Many of them don't speak very good English. We see many of them driving around on scooters delivering food to people. But, I mean, that's about it. Well, I, I think there might be uh, jobs around because one of the tragedies of present-day British society is that a lot of people simply do not want to work. Hmm. And ever since COVID in particular, when a lot of the elderly uh, people in the labour market decided to uh, opt out and take a, a long-term retirement, we, we do have a lot of shortages here and there. So there, is a, there, are, there are jobs available. I think the problem is, is that very often 
uh, people, even even migrants that come in here, don't necessarily want to do those jobs. I and mean, there are honourable exceptions to this. No, but also, are, are these people going to be able to get jobs? Because they do come here and they live uh, in a sort of transitory hotel state for a couple of years. You remember those guys in Pimlico, when Richard Tice went to speak to them, he said, where have you been? Oh, we've been in a hotel in Essex. How long for? Two years. Um, yeah. You know, if some if some of those people went up to a, to a, even a, a coffee shop or or maybe a fast food joint and said, "Have you got any jobs?" They might be turned away just because, you know, they don't look the part. Yeah, I mean, there there are all kinds of difficulties now, uh, which have got to do with the uh, lack of control on the part of our society that we just don't know how to handle what to do with the people coming mm. in. There's also the problem that uh, very often uh, the, the new arrivals or principally young men, are uh, very easily drawn into the black economy that you've suggested. And if you go to some places in England, uh, you'll find that in in some of these smaller towns, you have a situation where there's a large uh, influx of young men that have come in there, and they simply spend most of their time hanging out and not really getting stuck in and certainly not getting uh, involved in the labor market. Well, that's the thing. Um, and and the, the difficulty with, with the, the policy that this government has got uh, is that they keep pretending, oh, well, don't worry, everything will be fine once we process all of these people. Well, there's 180,000 people that need processing, uh, which is going to take pr- probably about 20 years to do. And what happens, as I always ask this question to, to politicians as well, what happens when you process them and they don't qualify for asylum? You can't send them away. So what do you do with them? Well, this is, this, this is a, a kind of a charade where... Basically, uh, the whole uh, process of processing uh, has an inevitable end, which is that everybody gets to stay here because there is no will to, to turn people away. And even if people are found not to be uh, uh, eligible for an asylum, uh, people just kind of look at their shoelaces. They kind of pretend that the problem is going to go away sooner huh. rather than later. And, uh, and the individuals uh, get to stay here. So... We now have a situation where there's this uh, uh, fatalistic attitude towards illegal migration. And that more or less means that illegal migration has become a kind of semi-legal form of migration because our society cannot make that clear distinction between legal and illegal. So do you have any hope that they will eventually fix this problem? Because I don't see it ending. And I don't see it ending well either, because we saw what happened in Clenetley this week, uh, where there was a local uh, sort of uh, protest by people that lived in that part of town where the hotel was taken over for, for, for being filled up with migrants. I think we're going to see more of that, more sort of civil unrest, and it, and it could turn a bit ugly. Well, the, I, I think you're right that at the moment, neither of the main parties and, uh, are prepared to do anything serious to deal with the problem. Uh, they've got a very dishonest orientation towards immigration, where they make all kinds of promises that they know that they have no intention of keeping. They have no intention of taking this question as seriously as it should. In addition to that, you have a, a growing uh, percentage of the uh, employer class who are arguing that the way you solve the economic problems facing Britain is by getting even more migrants in because we haven't got the people with the skills, we haven't got you know people in the NHS and all the other areas of the public sector. So I think that we're in for a continuous flow of people into this country in a way that 
isn't really organized properly in a way that's uh, conducted semi-dishonestly. Mm. Because there is a situation where nobody wants to confront the British people with the real situation, which is that we're not in control. We are not able to do anything about this problem. And you're going to have to be, pay the price for our incompetence. Yeah. And sadly, that's what we're all doing at the moment. That's what it feels like anyway. Professor Frank Ferradi, thank you very much indeed. Author and sociologist got a big piece in the mail today, uh, which is headlined this. Uh, it's because I was a nine-year-old refugee that I have such contempt for those unelected buffoons in the House of Lords trying to sabotage the bill to stop small boats. And never a truer word was said uh, than it was just now uh, by Frank Ferradi. Coming up, uh, we'll talk some more about Sick Note Britain. We'll take some of your calls as well. Of course, this is Talk TV. On the app, on your mobile, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Fascinating first hour. We've talked about a great many things, including the £15.7 billion that is now going to be the cost to the economy of Sick Note Britain. Uh, these are people who say they're not able to work, not because um, they're unemployed, not because they've got something uh, temporarily wrong with them, but because they are basically long-term sick. Some of these people have got long COVID. Some of these people have got uh, mental health problems. Some of these people have got bad backs. Some of them, and you used to see them wandering about places like Hastings have got walking sticks and pit bulls. Some of them have never worked a day in their lives, but we've now got more and more of them. 2.6 million people now, apparently, in this country who are economically inactive for what they say are health reasons. And, of course, the problem uh, with, as you know, uh, people who say they've got mental health problems is that you cannot question them. Uh, you cannot say anything to them. You cannot in any way uh, ask if that's actually true. You cannot ask to examine them. You cannot ask to kind of uh, uh, talk to them. You cannot ask to to try and steer them in the direction of a job. No, you just have to accept what they say. You have to believe it uh, and you have to say nothing at all. And you just have to hand them more of my money and your money and all taxpayers' money in order to have a nice life, which they don't have to earn. It's a ridiculous state of affairs, ladies and gentlemen, and I'm sick to death of it. Never mind sick note Britain. And what about those of us who pay for all the people who don't want to pay for anything? You know, we've got illegal migrants coming here who get given money. They get given food. They get given hotel rooms. They get given free dental care. They get given doctors. They get given all sorts of, you know, mod cons, free Wi-Fi. They get given um, any number of opportunities that ordinary people in this country who pay taxes don't get. Those of us who do pay taxes, and I know this because I've just sent a load of money to HMRC this month because that's what people uh, who are self-employed and who run their own businesses do. I get nothing in return. I get less than nothing. All that happens to me is that I occasionally get taxed even more. Council tax, up. Electricity, up. VAT, up. Everything's up. Nothing is down. Apart from sick note Britain. Down with the kids. Down in the gutter. Down for more money. For free. Absolutely brilliant. Let's talk to Ross Clark, author of Not Zero. Uh, everybody's getting a bit hot under the collar and not just because of the weather. Um, Ross, a very good uh, morning to you. I'm glad to see that you're not in uh, the depths of despair in the uh, highs temperatures of southern Europe where we're being told uh, it's gone from now orange on the weather map to pink. It's so dangerous. Um, I call it summer. What do you call it? Yes, it, those um, those maps get worse by the day. It'll be white heat next. <laughs> yes, won't it? absolutely. Yeah, I mean this this um, month in Britain at least has been sort of rather um, rather cool and chilly, hasn't it? And, well, I'm um, looking out the window here, high, in... high above the River Thames, and I can barely see the city of London beyond Tower Bridge. Basically, it's that bad. 
Well, it, exactly, and um, you know, it's hot in the Mediterranean. Well, well, I mean, this this week last year, by the way, I was I was out in the Pyrenees walking, and ah. um, you know, I was reading the news at home, and that's when we had that great heat wave, and um, the Met Office was saying, no, don't go outdoors. You know, you're going to die. You must stay indoors. It's right. not as ordinary summer's day. And I tell you what, down in the south of France, um, you know, I went walking uh, in the mountain, in the hills, and lots of people with their kids were walking around. It yeah. was 37 degrees. It was hot, but it was, um, you know, you keep hydrated, you wear a sun hat and sun cream, and um, you can survive summer weather. Well, I mean, people forget, don't they, how depressing winter is in northern Europe because we sit around mostly in the dark uh, come sort of November time and it doesn't we don't really emerge from it until about late March, early April. And basically it's dark for most of the time. I come to work pretty much in the dark. I go home pretty much in the dark. Um, it's cold. It's damp. It's miserable. You don't use the garden. You know, you very rarely actually sit outside at any point. Um, and then suddenly you forget what it's actually like to feel the sun on your skin. And when the sun finally shines on you around about sort of late April, early May, you get sunburned. You know, and that's what happens. And it's always happened. And nobody's died from it. And let's all just take life a little bit less seriously, should we? Well, we do. I mean, people do die of the heat. I mean, every summer there was excess deaths from the heat, mostly among elderly people who are, you know, yeah, but if but if the but heat, what but if we the have heat, is, but if the heat killed loads of people, yeah. everybody would die in Dubai every year, but they don't. Yeah, but I mean, the point is that far more people die of the cold than right. they die of the heat. And if you, you know, as the climate warms, you know, we have a few more people dying of the heat, but we have a lot more people, fewer people. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Dying of the cold, and that that's, happens around the world. You know, even in Africa, more people are killed by the cold than the heat. Right. So, um, you know, as the globe warms, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're suffering fewer 
overall deaths from extreme temperatures and um but you know we, we do get worked up on this this word if you know what the definition of the heat wave in, in this country is i mean it's you what know it? it's sort of over 25 degrees in london or you know you go into scotland and you know a day of 22 degrees you know counts as a sort of heat wave in scotland it's it sort of it's sort of ludicrous. And, I moved. Um, I moved to Scotland. I think it was around about two thousand and two to work for supposedly three months. Ended up staying about six years. Um, but so for the first month that I was there, which was June, it rained for twenty six days straight. Yes, it, it does have that misfortune. Um, <laughs> that was Glasgow. Bit of a reputation. You, you can get some lovely weather up there as well, as you're prepared to. Oh, for sure. Drop but, everything and go. At, no, the, listen. There's nothing the better. There's nothing better than a sunny day in Scotland. You know, because it means that everything looks completely different. You can actually go and play golf without getting soaked to the skin. Yeah. It's a brilliant, wonderful thing. Um, but of course, climate change is not only something that bothers us when it's hot. Climate change is all around us all the time. And if Sadiq Khan is to be believed, uh, if we don't pay per mile for driving our cars in London, you know, we'll all die a horrible death at some point before 2030. Yes, well, we're going to learn what ULEZ is really about now, aren't we? And, um, you know, he's admitting that the, the purpose of these cameras in the long term is to charge motorists per mile, yes. road pricing, as it's called. Because, you know, it, within a few years, as those um, older cars are taken off the road anyway, um, you know, his, his um, emissions charge will, will earn less and less money. Now, per personally, I'm not against the principle of road pricing in general, so long as two conditions. Firstly, that it replaces and it doesn't run on top of road fuel duty. Yeah. And secondly, that we have one national scheme and we don't allow councils to sort of hijack us, act as highwaymen by sort of you know, installing these schemes, which we're all supposed to know about instinctively. We yeah. all have to pay within 24 hours or we get um, stung for enormous um, fines. Mm. We have one normal nationwide scheme, which is done on a monthly bill. I, I would be in favour of that. One of the reasons I've been in favour of it, of course, is that it would make sure that drivers of electric cars pay their fair share of road taxes, yes. which at the moment they don't at all. Because, no, um, and that's going to have to change. But, but that is going to have to change, isn't it? Because when the time yeah. comes, if, if it does ever come, I'm not sure it ever will, but if the time did come where everyone was driving an electric car, suddenly the government would be about £40 billion in the hole because they wouldn't be collecting road tax from anyone. So inevitably, and I think they've even admitted this, they will have to start charging some form of road tax to electric cars. Yeah, road fuel duty at the moment raises £28 billion. Mm. If we all drove electric cars tomorrow, that money would, or the revenue would just disappear. Right. Of course, the government's not going to allow it to disappear and no. we're going to have to have a road pricing scheme to replace road tax but the government won't tell us that at the moment they're sort of being a bit dishonest about it and the, the reason they don't one of the reasons they don't want to tell us about it of course is they don't want to discourage people from buying electric cars they mm. want to keep up this fantasy that they're actually cheaper to run than petrol and diesel cars which you know if you look at it you know, you equalise the sort of tax situation, an electric car won't be cheaper to no. run. Well, <laughs> particularly since electricity prices have gone through the roof. And, and we've read stories, I think, for over the past three or four months, which pretty clearly state that the electric car bubble had pretty much burst. 
Yeah, well, it's electric car sales have sort of settled down sort of 15 to 20 percent of overall car yeah. sales. And they're, they're selling, you know, the industry is selling Teslas to sort of middle class people who want to show off their environmental credentials and who want to or people who want a second car to drive around cities mm. um, without paying, you know, emissions charges and that sort of thing. But the electric cars really aren't penetrating the market beyond that. And no. I mean, there's very good reason because they cost half as much again as a petrol or diesel car. And there's some severe, serious problems with the charging network. Well, exactly right. But also, my, my belief is that, um, and you can either confirm or not this particular piece of information, my belief that the surge in purchasing of electric cars was actually done by companies who were buying fleets of electric cars because they were getting tax breaks from the government for doing so. So if you have a company that employs, you know, a few thousand people and you're buying, you know, a few hundred cars in order to give them company cars and you're buying electric cars, that's going to be a huge boost to the market. And I think that's come and gone now. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, early, and it's the same with hybrids, by the way. I, mean, I went out last year, I thought I'd buy a petrol hybrid car. And I, I found these sort of cars on the secondhand market. And they did about sort of 17 miles between charges. And um, they're basically just normal cars that had a few batteries stuffed in there, and they were designed purely to reap the um, tax benefits, the company oh. car tax benefits. They were not so really designed to uh, cut emissions at mm. all. A lot of people weren't sort of bother plugging them in ever. Because, no, I mean, quite. And one of the things that they've done in America recently as well is to change the tax structure for electric cars so that you, if you buy an electric car that's batteries made in the USA, you do get a tax break. But if it's made elsewhere in the world, i.e. China, you don't. Yeah, well, this is um, Joe Biden's great green initiative, isn't yeah. it? I mean, well, in Britain, we set ourselves a target, you know, no carbon emissions by 2050. What does Joe Biden do? He introduces this great protectionist act the inflation reduction act which is sort of dressed up as an environmental measure which is blatant protectionism really mm. handouts to people who buy american and uh, you know of course you know, that, that is killing off some of our industry european yeah, but america has always been protectionist i mean this doesn't come as any yeah. great surprise to those of us who understand the so-called special relationship better than others america has always looked after america has always looked after number one they don't really care about the rest of the world they've never really cared about britain or the european union um, most people in america never travel outside of the country you know it's a very isolationist insular place and that's what they want well, and Joe Biden, especially, and Democrats have a great record for protectionism. Remember, Donald Trump wanted to do a trade deal with Britain. Yes. Well, Joe Biden doesn't. He's made it absolutely clear he doesn't want a trade deal. He, what mm. he wants to do is put up these protectionist barriers, you know, bungs for U.S. companies and, um, you know, keep the keep the competition out. That, absolutely. Absolutely right. Strategy. So do you think we'll see this uh, road ch charging uh, policy coming in because you know Sadiq Khan's already under pressure over his expanded ULEZ zone. Um, it's being challenged in the courts as we speak. I think we're expecting a ruling on that later on this month. Mm. Um, do you think he might go the other way and just go, well, all right, if you won't let me do that, I'll do this and start charging per mile? Oh, he could well do. I mean, the government really needs to get on top of this now before you know the roads become unusable. And what it needs to do is to ban councils from introducing their own schemes and have one national road pricing scheme which includes all tolls mm. all congestion charges and so on 
and you know send your monthly bill which you'd settle like your your electricity or your gas or something and um you know we don't have these ludicrous schemes where you're all supposed to know if you drive into central london it's 10 quid for the congestion mm. and then if you go into another street it's more money for emission zone and so on to sweep all that away and have one rational system which um you know will prevent councils from ripping us off in the way they are at the moment well listen if they could do something rational then we would probably not have a television show to do <laughs> but thank you very much indeed ross clark author of nupt zero uh talking about the possibility of a paper mile scheme uh, running in london and as you know for those of you who have got ulez now in your local towns whatever happens here will eventually happen there as well. 0344 499 1000 is the number. We'll take some calls in a minute. Janice says, Mike, your own channel has just forecast a yellow warning for heavy rain and strong winds for the southwest. It's a light breeze and drizzle to light rain. How is that anything other than a normal summer's day, man? Uh, and they do this every day, including red for 20 degrees centigrade. Well, I mean, I have been told there are going to be some strong winds and possibly gale force winds down in the southwest. I mean, if that's not true, uh, I will apologise. But I think it is true. But it doesn't mean you have to take your precautions and go and hide in a cellar, does it? It just means you might want to know that it's not going to be very nice out there. And if you've got anything that might blow away, tie it down. Simple. This is Talk TV. The home of common sense. Talk radio and talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. I'm just looking at some footage now of the lava pouring out of a volcano in Iceland, apparently quite near Reykjavik, erupted over the weekend. People have been flocking to see it. Well, there you are then. Um, that's it. I mean, the last time there was a massive problem with an Icelandic volcano is when they stopped flying over it and you actually had cancellations of flights across the Atlantic because it was that bad. This doesn't appear to be that bad. It is pretty spectacular, though. Uh, I'll bring you news on the Renault front when I find it. Uh, but as of now, I don't have any. Maybe somebody could help me out. Uh, what we are going to talk about, though, now uh, is Sick Note Britain, which we did talk about in the first hour, but not enough. So we've got Reem Ibrahim from the IEA, uh, that's the Institute of Economic Affairs, to tell us why we are spending... Believe it or not, £15.7 billion, right? Because people are sick. Too sick to work, they say. 2.6 million people are now economically inactive for health reasons. It's ridiculous, isn't it? Reem, a very good morning to you. Good morning. How are you, Mike? I'm all right. I'm, I'm at work, as are you, uh, I'm assuming. And I'm thinking to myself, why on earth are so many people now swinging the lead my belief is that it's the working from home culture, it's the COVID culture, um, it's the mental health culture. You can say you're suffering from mental health problems, nobody's allowed to question it, right? Absolutely. And we're seeing at the moment now, I think the figure is about 5.3 million people in out-of-work benefits. That is absolutely crazy. The fact that about 20% of uh, workers mm. in our biggest cities in this country that are supposed to be some of the most productive areas of the country are now seeing these individuals on out-of-work benefits. Now, we saw this amount of public spending increase drastically since the pandemic. We saw the number of people that have claimed that they are um, too sick to work as a result of mental health problems significantly increase after the pandemic. And at the moment, we're seeing this figure steadily increase. Now, public spending is about 46% of GDP. That's gone up by 10% since the year 2000. It is huge amounts of public waste that we're now spending. And actually also, I mean, just taking away from the economics for a moment, it's such a huge waste of human potential. There are so many individuals out there that could be working, that could be actually doing something with their lives, and instead they are actually claiming off of the state, which of course is the rest of us hardworking taxpayers that are now having to foot the bill. 
well, it's sort of anathema to those of us who get up every morning and go to work because it's what I know what to do. It's what I know how to live. You know, I've never been comfortable. There have been times when I was a student when I didn't get up very early in the morning. There, I think I've spent some time uh, on unemployment when I was a teenager because I couldn't actually get a job. And so I was told that's what I should do. But I mean, it's not a comfortable place for most people to be. If you do work, whether or not you work every single day of your life, you want to work because it keeps your mind active. It keeps money coming in. Uh, it's good for the economy and for all the good reasons that taxpayers contribute to the uh, exchequer. The more people we have who are not doing that, the worse it is for the economy, isn't it? Absolutely. It's also you know, it's bad for the economy. We're seeing huge amounts of vacancies. We saw, I think it was a few months ago, the CEO of Next uh, actually arguing for more immigration to fill in those vacancies. Yeah. Actually, if we are to get those people off of out-of-work benefits instead, that would cost the taxpayers less, it would cost the state less, but it would also mean that we get those people into the productive side of the economy. It's unfair, morally, to, for, the, for those individuals that are able to work. Now, I'm not saying that all 5.3 million people that are on out-of-work benefits are genuinely able to work. Of course, there are those that aren't able to work, uh, those that have uh, physical disabilities, of course, some of those that have mental disabilities as well that are, aren't able to work. But there is absolutely no way that that figure should be 5.3 million and unfortunately now we're seeing a huge surge in those individuals that are claiming that they're too sick to work as a result of mental health problems we saw an increase since the pandemic and it's just such a huge waste of human potential i think it's unfortunate of course the economics of that is true as well we're seeing companies like next obviously um, crying out for more immigration to fill in those vacancies and honestly i don't blame them i mean if you're running a business and you need individuals to actually be working in that business and and British people are wanting to take those jobs. Of course, you're going to want to get those people from abroad. Yes. And I mean, I'm told that something like half a million people uh, is the increase in the number uh, of long term sickness over just the past three years. And it now, as I say, has got up to 2.6 million. A lot of people say one of the reasons for it is that these people can't see a doctor because, of course, the NHS is also failing, largely because they haven't got enough people working in it or largely because also uh, people are working from home. Yeah, I mean, the NHS is a hugely separate issue. It's fundamentally flawed. It's a bureaucratic black hole. I mean, the amount of taxpayer waste that we spend on the NHS as well. We spend just below £200 billion a year on the NHS. And yet we still see upwards of 7.3 million people on, on waiting lists. I think it's unfair. I think that we, we tend to sort of have this quite emotional um, reaction to NHS reform. We really need to have an honest conversation about all of our public services. That includes the NHS. Of course, we saw the... Um, BMA asking for a 35% pay rise. Yesterday, the government announced that they were going to uh, accept the pay review body's um, review that found that a 6% rise would be enough. Actually, I think when we're thinking about the rest of our public services, whether that be education, healthcare, social care, we really need to think about how much of this money is actually going towards the productive side of our economy. How much of these uh, these uh, this waste of taxpayer money is actually worth the, worth the, the squeeze? And actually, how much of this is actually going to be uh, long term, sort of stable in the long term? We're spending huge amounts of money. We're not allowing our economy to grow. We're also not allowing uh, houses to be built, which means that young people can't afford their own home so there are a lot of areas of, of this kind of waste and it means that actually it reinforces those individuals that are on out of work benefits in order for them to just continuously stay at home and of course uh, take the money from the state yeah exactly right we've also been told that there's more people kind of uh, throwing sickies while they are actually in work as well so that not 
only are there people who are long-term sick not working, but the people who are working are also now claiming sickness an awful lot more as well. So presumably they've got the bug where they can just sign, sign themselves off. And again, this is where the mental health thing creeps in, isn't it? And I mean, I'm not saying for a second, obviously, that, that all mental health problems are um, you know not really problems at all but I think a lot of people can use mental health as an excuse can't they yeah and I think it's important that we treat these kind of issues with uh, with some sensitivity um, I've, I don't know anybody that hasn't suffered from some kind of mental health problem in their life so I think it's important that we do ta- we do I've been pretty much crazed for my entire existence but you know <laughs> I haven't ever taken a day off as a result well, exactly, and that's the that's the difference. And I do think, dare I say, it's kind of a generational thing. Yeah. I, I know from my parents' generation, that's what my parents came from North Africa. That kind of a um, sort of hard work ethic. If I told my mum that I didn't want to go to work because I felt anxiety, I think she would have given me a slap. <laughs> so <laughs> I think it's probably quite. Well, that's important. why you're at work today. She's obviously I done am you at a favour. Indeed, you probably did. I think it's about that kind of hard work ethic. Unfortunately, I do think there is a generational divide. I'm not saying that all young people are lazy. What I am saying is that there tends to be um, this kind of tendency to want to have an emotional kind of, yeah. uh, sort of be wrapped in cotton wool uh, in, in this Well, instance. they're mollycoddled, aren't they? I mean, we were doing a story the other day uh, on the fact that in the NHS, they've lost something like 26,000 man hours uh, per, or woman hours, if you like, or non-binary hours through the course of a year <laughs> um, because of things like uh, having... Uh, um, you know, seminars on uh, news anxiety. And so that if you go to work for the NHS, you can not worry about actually doing any work. You can go to a, an event which uh, calms you down and talks you through why you might be feeling anxiety because of the news. Yeah, look, this kind of thing just wouldn't happen if we had competition in the public sector. Yeah. In the NHS, for example, I mean, it is effectively a state monopoly. And that's why these public sector workers are effectively allowed to take all of this time off. And that you know, their employer is the state, their employer is the rest of the taxpayers. And so there is there is absolutely no, no sort of accountability to patients. If we had competition, I mean, I'm thinking about countries like Germany, Sweden, the Netherlands, mm. even Singapore that have much more efficient healthcare systems where they allow that kind of competition they allow you as an individual to choose where you get your healthcare from and of course as any business does they're going to cut back on inefficiency they won't they won't have these kind of crazy seminars on anxiety unless they really deem it effective uh, for improving the, the well-being of their workers so actually allowing that indi- allowing that competition means that you as an individual get to choose that healthcare and it get, puts the power back into the hands of individuals and out of the hands of the state Yes, absolutely right. Uh, Reem, good to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. Reem Ibrahim at work at the IEA, uh, the Institute of Economic Affairs. By the way, uh, nearly a thousand workers uh, won't be off sick soon, but they will be off on strike soon. Eight days of strike action at Gatwick Airport over the summer holidays in a row over pay, according to the Unite Union. I mean, where does it stop? Can we find anybody in this country who actually wants to go to work and wants to earn a decent crust, a decent living, pay some decent tax so that we can support all the people who don't want to work? It's unbelievable what's going on in this country. Why is it so lazy all of a sudden? This is Talk TV. On the app, on your mobile, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Good afternoon and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We've had a fascinating couple of hours. We've got more for you coming up between now and one o'clock when Ian Collins will be here. Uh, we've got plenty of time to take more of your calls as well, so keep them coming. 0344 499 Don in Chelmsford says public service workers generally get six months full pay if they're off sick and then six months half pay. When I was in local government, most people recovered after six months. 
<laughs> well, that's the thing. We've got Sick Note Britain, £15 billion. Pounds, nearly £16 billion pounds is going to be spent this year uh, on 2.6 million people who are off long-term sick, can't work, can't do any work. Uh, and those are the ones that are actually off work. The ones that are in work and off sick uh, is another couple of million. It's unbelievable what is going on out there. I'm happy to say that I'm going to talk to a couple of people right now uh, who are not the type who shirk work at all. Hugh Andre is here because it's time, of course, for this. The Veteran's Voice. The Veteran's Voice. This is our Friday slot where we look at uh, life in the armed services and possibly beyond that. Uh, and we've got an extra special guest uh, today as well, Nikki Scott. Nikki, welcome to uh, Talk TV. She's the founder of a military charity called Scotty's Little Soldier, uh, which we'll tell you more about in a little while. But it is a fascinating and, and a brilliant charity uh, and one which I think you'll want to support. Uh, but Hugh, uh, it's been an interesting week for you, hasn't it? You've been going at it with uh, uh, the Minister for Veterans Affairs. Indeed, yeah, indeed. It, it, I have, and we've got some good news Johnny there. Mercer. Yeah, indeed. He's made some enemies this week, hasn't he? Yeah, he's, uh, he's sort of um, become the sort of this week's punch bag yes which i think is a bit unfair it is a bit unfair actually it is um, well he's he's been the, the subject of, of what, what very, i call the sort of vapid rather nasty left who well, are now attacking everybody in government yeah well he's had the courage to step up and stick his head over the parapet yeah. bound to take a few incoming rounds but you know he's having a go yeah um which is more than could be said for a lot of people so right. you know my view is give the guy a break yeah you know um there is lots to do None of us are perfect. I even, as I said, I even saw Roger, Roger Daltrey stop yes. one minute into a song on Wednesday oh, night did he? and say, stop, stop, stop. I'm sorry, I've effed up. Can we go again? Right. And he got the biggest round of applause. Yeah. You know? Well, that's even what you Even the do. greatest make of mistakes. Course. Absolutely right. So what's in the news? So if we start with the regional news. Yes, let's do that. And go down to Cornwall. Mm. Uh, our old friend Badger. Yes. From the Noon Craig Veterans Retreat yeah. was in court on Wednesday. Right. Um, the judge was very decent and has given him eight weeks okay. to prepare his defence. This uh, is to try and stay where he is, This is right? to stay on the land where yeah. he's been supporting all the homeless right. um, veterans. Right. Um, the slight challenge is we need a lawyer. So if you're, if you're a, 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 as a lawyer out there who's happy to do some pro bono work in a good cause, yeah. please get in touch okay. because it's a worthwhile And cause. it's a Crown Court case. So yes, it is indeed. It needs to be somebody Truro. who can plead in a Crown Court. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, because we've, we've, we've put tweets out as well and there are a couple of people interested, but it would be great if somebody listening to this could come forward because um, we could crowdfund it, but we still need a lawyer, right? Yeah, doesn't we do. matter how we pay for it, but, but, but we can work that out later. We just need a lawyer. Yeah, and I'm sure there are, you know, there are one or two out there mm. who've... Uh, you know, we'll feel it's a worthwhile yeah, cause. I'm, very I'm pretty much sure is. that most law firms have a sort of a, a duty within yeah. their sort of social value mm -hmm. piece uh, to provide some support. So, right. you know, as I said, if there's anyone out there, please get in touch. Okay, good. Um, on the, well, it's been all about pay rises as yes. well, hasn't it? Mm -hmm. um, and as you said, you know, the, the one group of people who never go on strike, they don't whinge, although... That said, when I was serving, we always said uh, a soldier complaining is a happy soldier. <laughs> um, of course, we've got the smallest pay rise. Yes. Um, and yet again, I just, you know, I feel for boys and girls in the armed forces, uh, it's not enough. Right. Um, it's been dressed up a little bit um, with inflation at 10.4%. Right. They've got the lowest pay rise. Presumably, that, they don't get a choice as to whether to accept it or not. They just have to take it. Of course. Yeah. Much like in, in injections when you go to the Gulf. Yeah. You step forward and... Yeah, uh, which we talked about last week. Exactly, 10 yes. and 13. Um, yeah, but 
they have got a pay rise. It is 5%. I think right. they got three point something last year. Right. But at the same time, things like single soldiers accommodation mm. has been put up by 4.5%. Yeah, and, and you were saying they're paying for their own food now as well. They pay for their own food, although that's been frozen. Okay. Uh, much like a lot of the food that gets served to them. <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, again, our good old armed forces, those who we always call on to fill the gaps, yeah. whether, you know, firemen, doctors, security yeah. guards, the Olympics need securing right. or, or, or the west of England's underwater. Yeah. Um, in my my humble opinion, have been given a bit of a raw deal. Yeah, I know. Um, however, some good news, as we mentioned yes. uh, earlier. So last week we had uh, Gavit, Gavin Roberts yeah. from Justice for Veterans yeah. and Hillary Meredith Beckham, who's uh, a, a lawyer. Yes who has defended a lot of veterans in, in, in claims against the Ministry yes. of Defence. Um, it was it was a subject that was quite new to me, having despite being involved in the first mm. Gulf War. Um, but I know that this group have been trying very, very hard to engage with the government yeah. for a, a number of years, it's more like 30, mm. 32 years now, yeah. over the issue of the vaccinations they were given and what actually was in them. Right. Well, I'm delighted to say that having liaised with the Office of Veterans Affairs, um, the Veterans Minister, Johnny Mercer, has agreed to meet post-recess yeah. uh, with myself and Hillary. Good. And we'll put together a plan on on engaging with them and how we're going to do it. Right. So it's a small step, but it's a step forward. It's brilliant. And I think a lot of people were very grateful for, for the piece we did yeah. last week because so few... Um, pieces have been done, so little media attention has Indeed. been put onto that particular subject. So, well done to you, and thank you. Um, let's now talk to uh, Nikki. Nikki Scott, welcome uh, to Talk TV, founder of the military charity Scotty's Little Soldier. Before I ask you what, what it is that you do, we've got a little uh, clip of a video here, uh, which we're going to play, uh, just to see, uh, to give you a flavour of it. Let's have a look. I was walking back to my house because I'd been out for a walk with some friends and I remember there was um, two cars that drove past me going up my cul-de-sac and then when I got near I said, are you, are you looking for me? And they said, are you Corporal Lee, Scott's wife? And I said yes and then they took me inside the house and, and one of them asked me to hand my baby to their colleague and that's when they told me that um, Lee had been killed in Afghanistan. He was first diagnosed uh... Uh, by an army doctor in 2003 with uh, reoccurring depression and low moods. And it got to the stage where I said, look, we need to get you help for this. What was meant to be an hour and a half surgery turned into a five hour surgery. And they basically opened him up and inside he was just full, full of um, a cancer. I've been losing sleep and it won't get better. It's driving me crazy, tired of waiting. I really hate being away from you. You always think in life, you, you always have these scripts in life that you naturally make. Such as like, you know, telling your mum and dad you've got a boyfriend, telling your mum and dad you've, you're getting married, telling your parents you're gonna have a baby. But nobody ever puts a script into you to say to your child that 
your dad's died and he's not coming back. Wow. <laughs> Sorry. Um, tell us about the charity. Um, so, yeah, so uh, set it up after my husband Lee was killed in Afghanistan in 2009. Um, and it's a bit of a long story how it all came about. But basically, um, obviously, as an army wife, you never, ever think it's going to be you, going to happen to your loved one. Um, so when, you know, I got that knock on the door that every military wife dreads, um, yeah, my whole world just fell apart. And I was so upset for Lee as well because for him he was 26 right. you know I me mean? and he was like anyone that knew him, he was like I think like a lot of guys in the military but a bit crazy a bit loud like <laughs> I was always the sensible one trying to calm him down and I just I felt for him as well because I just thought this is right. too soon for Lee you know it was a massive impact um and yeah we had two young children at the time Kai was five and Brooke was six months or seven months sorry when he was killed and um I think I've since learned, you know, through Scotties and further education that, you know, even Brooke would have been impacted by that sure. back then. But my focus was Kai, you know, yeah. I was like, how do I help Kai get through this? And, you know, I, I just I thought I went on a holiday actually nine months after. And this sounds really corny, but that holiday literally changed my life because I didn't want to go. My cousin literally nagged and nagged and nagged. She was like, you need to come, you need to come. Um, and I went away and that was when I saw Kai really laughing and I had like this way I thought Lee would be going crazy right now because he's not living a life like he, right. we're just totally in our grief yeah. and um, and then I started to sit and watch him in the pool and think how many other bereaved military children mm. like Kai and Brooke um, have experienced a parent that has served and isn't getting the support they need so yeah. um I sort of thought, you know, how do I help him? What do I do? So I went back and like my family were like, wow, you've changed since that holiday. I was like, I am on a mission. Like I need it's to It's funny, some isn't it? Research. How sometimes you just, that's one thing just, just happens. Yeah. It was just that moment by the pool. Mm. It was really bizarre. And I was just like, oh my God, Kai's laughing. I just realised how bad like we had been, you know, obviously. Um, and I wouldn't say everything got better after that at all. But I had a real focus of, you know, what support is out yeah. there. So I'd done lots of research and, you know, we've got some great, UK military charities in the UK you know and but there was such limited support for bereaved British forces children right. and, and it's quite unique you know and with the military community and you know like and were you living in a sort of military community or, yeah in Tidworth such? yeah yeah um so yeah that, that's the other thing you know you're surrounded so eventually you know you have to move home Kai had to move schools you have to leave that community that you've been a part of and go back to a civilian life and you know, lots of the schools don't understand, you know, where right. you've come from or like, you know, you just really feel a bit. Because you there's nothing prepares you for that, right? I mean, no, like you say, you, you don't, you. just because you're married to somebody in, in, in the military, you don't think about it. No, you don't. And yeah. and for me, when he went on tour, you know, it was like, I was more about, I'm going to miss him because he's going to be away for a long right. time and he's going to miss out on the kids. And no, I never really naively thought about what he was no. doing, where he was. But I don't um, think it's naive to because cope, to be honest. Mo most of them do come back, don't they? I mean, yeah. you know, it's, it's a, it's, it's a yeah. rarity, thankfully. Yeah. And like I so say, you never think it's going to be you. Right. Mm. Um, but, your, but your charity also is there for not just people who are killed in action. It's, it's for anybody who, who, who's killed in some way yeah. in, in, in service, as it were. Yeah, so, um, I mean, the name Scotty's Little Soldiers is very, you know, it's dedicated to Lee. He used to call Kai his little soldier and he was known as Scotty in the army. But we're very, uh, you know, proactive at saying, you know, it's not just army, it's RAF, Navy, mm -hmm. Marines, reserves, regular, family. you know, yeah. Uh, like you said, cause of death is irrelevant. That parent served our country, right. you know. So whether they're a veteran, 
uh, or whether they were serving at the time, you know, we can still look to support them. You know, with veterans, we're quite, we do a little bit more of a check because you don't want to, with Scott, is this membership. So right. although we help the bereavement, that's that's what we do, that's mm. our bread and butter, I guess, but we also bring that military connection back. So if a child hasn't experienced that military connection, sometimes it we maybe aren't the yes. best fit. So we, but yeah, veterans serving, killed in actions, murders, suicides, illnesses, accidents. Mm. It, yeah, there's Everything. a massive range and yeah. you've been awarded a british empire medal this season, <laughs> yeah. 2021 not enough not um, enough damehood please <laughs> <laughs> well she's been invited to the king's coronation as well i did that right? was surreal That's quite yeah that good. was really that is quite good <laughs> you know how far back were you oh I didn't see it. I met Lionel Richie, but I didn't see the well, king, right. if I'm honest. I'll, I'll take that. Yeah, that's fair enough. <laughs> and it's weird, though, because uh, Scott is like, you are so in the moment and you don't, there is always more. There's always yeah. more that the bereaved forces families need and there's always more children that don't know about us yet. So you're never really looking at where you've come from, if if that makes sense. So even with the king's coronation, you know, I'm just like, oh, yeah, that's cool. But yeah, that's yeah. not like... It's not important. Yeah, you know, it sounds, until the night before when I sat there in my hotel room on my own and thought, oh my God, like tomorrow I'm going <laughs> to the King. That's quite big, actually. And I haven't even told everyone yet. Right. But yeah, it's, but it made me sit there and actually think about Scotties and Lee and how yeah. many children we've supported and mm. how much more we've got to do. So, yes. yeah. And how about you? I mean, how's your situation? Are you able to keep yourself, you know, OK as well? Yeah. And I mean, you know, I've gone on to, you know, I've I've now gone on to study childhood bereavement and we've got some amazing people at Scotty. So I feel like I've, yeah, before this, you know, I used to work in nursery schools and pubs, you right. know, like. And, right. and so now I feel like I've learned so much more with, you know, not I don't run it on my own. Obviously, we've got a really strong right. team. But yeah, and I and that has definitely saved me but I you know 14 years on we just had Lee's 14th anniversary and I still you know a couple of weeks ago I was in a really low place but mm. I think I've learned now over the years what I need to do for myself when I get hit out? that yeah, yeah. And because that's, that's the thing a lot of people children, in your situation would, would would like bury themselves in helping other people mm. but then you forget about how yeah. to help yourself which I did for a long time yeah. if I'm honest and right. now I think I've realized that actually I know I just need to take some time or I do something with the children yeah. or yeah bereavement is about like I think personally everyone it's unique to everyone but with the children that we support it's very much about there's not a one-off simple fix right and it's always going to be there doesn't matter how old you are when the parent died or how long it's been so it's about helping them to find coping mechanisms Mm. for when they're in those situations when the pain button hits them and where are the gaps at the moment where where, what, what more can we be doing um, as a veterans community to support you? Oh, great question. I'm glad you asked me that. Um, no, so basically the big thing at Scott is, is um, we know there are so many more children and young people out there that mm. don't know about us yet that could be getting this support. So for us, especially the veterans community, is spreading the word. Yep. So we've got a campaign at the minute called the Scotties Pledge where you can just go on the website, you take the pledge. It, basically, you're just sharing your email address to say, yes, I'm 100% behind helping this charity and then you'll receive you know the news of what we're doing and things and be able to help in different ways but it's all about word of mouth talking about bereaved children I, they just it feels like they get forgotten so much yes. you know even in, in remembrance you know we finally got them got the children young people to have a place on the parade um which they, they didn't really have children and young people and i was like these are these their parents have like you know served our country and they're bereaved and we just forget mm. and the army widows association rightly are there you know and they mm-hmm. are 
but the children need to be there. So, yeah. and then we were at the back of the queue behind La- La Transport for London, and like things. Were, so, but now we work with the British Legion, and like we've, uh, you know, we've just kept going. That's all what it's all so about. So our Keep task going. is to get the children at the front. Well, we are. We're there the now. Queue. Last year we Good. were in Horse Guards Parade, where, they, and I was like, this is where they belong with yes. the serving soldiers and the veterans and their family that they've come come detached mm. from. So yeah, it was. Right. It's really, but yeah, there is there is a lot more to do, and, and, um, and so find. people who don't know about you, who mm. are military families, who might be in that very bereaved situation, um, how, can they find your website easily? Tell yeah, us, tell us easy. Uh, ScottishLittleSoldiers.co.uk okay. and social media sites. Mm. Everything will point you where you need to go. Okay, but, yeah, and we'll put all those out on social media for a place as well. Yeah. So an amazing charity, really. And something that I think a lot of people will want to, you know, take take part in in some way, shape, or form. Very upset. I mean, I'm sitting there going, huh? You know, I'm I'm, I'm inspired. I, I think Nikki's a hero. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. We're going to have to get you on at every show in the building. I think. That's I think cool. so. Absolutely. That. Spread the word. Just get you know, you. I, it, I'm, I'm going to say this now because I understand 13 years. Forget military service, but 13 years helping veterans find employment. Yeah. And often asking myself, why am I doing this? And yeah. Like, why are you doing this? Right. Yeah. Should it? Shouldn't the government? Shouldn't shouldn't there be sort of a wider yeah. responsibility yeah. to look after those children? Well, we've discovered we've only been doing this less than a month. I think yeah. this veterans' voice, and we've already discovered you know things that, that certainly I didn't know about mm. that need to be pushed. That need you know that need I to think, have a force for good behind them. I think now I like I used to get asked that question a lot. I don't get asked it as much now, but I now think, do you know what I I forget about what's happened well, I don't forget but you know what's happened has happened mm. we can't make everything better we can't rely on other people to do it so that's why right. we were like right we'll do it then because yeah. and then the public get behind you and then as you grow and get more well known and your credibility rises then people yeah. will help you but if they won't help you first we're like right we'll show them yeah and then you reach a certain it. level and then it just kind of goes you know and, and, and then it all just moves on so well, I'm going to say this, if you're a veteran, a spouse, partner or family member and you would like to promote an event, fundraiser or indeed highlight any challenges that you have or are currently facing, then please do get in touch. Um, and I'm sure you'd be very happy to uh, welcome any new members. Can you can you join it? Is it something you join or is it just something you become part of? Is it, uh, um, so from support, our supporters, yeah. Um, yeah, we always like them to come and join the journey. Right. Um, the children and young people that are bereaved of a parent who served um, are, do become members so we support them right through to the age of 25 wow. so we communicate we engage with them um, offer them like group events so they get to know other bereaved children and then it means they build up that trust so when the tough times come okay. it's not scary to pick up the phone to Scotty's and say actually my child needs some emotional right. bereavement support now brilliant what a great opportunity to host a Christmas party for those children. Yes. Here. Yeah, absolutely. With some well-known people. Scotty's little soldiers. Well, I'm thinking Chris Evans down the road. I'm sure he would be yeah, uh, very happy to get involved in that. Um, Piers is a big supporter. Piers Morgan. You know, yeah. He's a big supporter he's of yours. He's a supporter, yeah. yeah. So that's, let's get it on, as they say. Thank you so much for coming no, in. thank you for um, having me. Brilliant, brilliant project. Uh, Nikki Scott, founder of the military charity Scotty's Little Soldiers. Um, Hugh, I'll see you next week. Thank you, Mike. Um, anything to look out for? as far as we know it's raining so it's training so let's just crack on <laughs> there you go back to the swimming in the Lido again um, that was the veterans voice for this week we'll have more next time the veterans voice
Coming up, Ian Collins at one o'clock. Uh, we'll take more of your calls as well. Uh, we'll have the world of woke. This is Talk TV. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So if you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.